Well, good morning and happy almost last day of 2022. It's it's amazing to me that we are already coming up on 2023. I feel like I just got used to writing 2022 and now we're here in 20, almost 2023, but it's good to see each and every one of you. Now, today we're going to be diving into a brand new book. We're going to be diving into Revelation, which to be honest is intimidating. And the reason I even threw it out there is because I want to dive into it. Like I need to brush up on it, especially with all the craziness going on today. And so today we'll be jumping into Revelation 1 and we'll see that modern depictions of Jesus, uh, they aren't the way he looks now. They really aren't. And so we're going to talk about what he actually looks like now and how that should affect us, as well as a lot of other things. And so I'm excited for that. We also have a really cool thing we're going to unveil and show you guys first in just a few minutes. But before we do all that, let me bring on my brother here. Jonah, how are you this morning? Doing well, doing well. Good. Now, your guys' Christmas break is just about over. Are you uh, sad about that? Or are you ready to get back? Uh, it was mixed. A, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's mixed. I mean, different kinds of busy um, as it was this week. And next week, it's going to still be busy, but yeah. it's still going to be it's going to be a different kind of busy. We have our revival uh, with uh, Paul Schwenke. So going to be going to be a good week. That's going to be good. I'll have to make it down there for some of those nights. So that'll be awesome. Well, are you ready for Revelation? <laughs> uh, well, I want to just put out there that we were talking uh, yesterday and I was telling you eschatology. And if you say, what in the world is eschatology? It's literally the doctrine of the end times or yep. the study of the end times. Um, it's one of my least, mm, I, I don't, it's the one I don't know most about. It's probably the one I know one of the least you're saying angelology, the study of angels. <laughs> I don't know much about that either. Uh, but, uh, just give us grace. I know as we went through Hebrews, we're saying, Hey, give us grace. Now with the revelation, give us grace. We're going to do our very best to study it out. And, uh, and the truth is, the truth is. When it comes to eschatology, that is the area that most people need the most grace because it's a future thing that we have opinions on and we do our best to interpret based on the text, based on uh, basically the, the way the text interacts with other texts. But nobody knows perfectly how it unfolds. We know the basics. We know the generalities. And so we're going to do our best to decipher and give you the clearest uh, interpretation of Revelation, and I'm excited for it. I really am pumped about Revelation and so glad that we'll be able to take this journey together. Now, we're going to look over at some of the things we've got to uh, cover before we launch in. We've got the free background for those of you who may be just joining us. You can look in the description and get that for yourself. We also have got the new mug club. If you want to get the mug, we've got that there, and you can uh, have some chokhmah with your coffee, and chokhmah means wisdom. Okay, so it's not some weird uh, occultic word or anything. It's a Hebrew word that just means wisdom. And it's our desire on this podcast just to give out wisdom each and every Friday from God's word. We've also got the limited edition version, which actually goes away tomorrow. And so if you're wanting to grab the limited edition, now I just got to explain this, okay? So we've got the, the hochma in the middle, the first letter of hochma, and then we've got the plus sign for and, and then we've got the C for coffee, okay? So we've got hochma and coffee. Oh, I'm knocking things over here. If you want to grab that, that's in the description as well. We just did the giveaway, and so if you won the giveaway, we emailed it out. We emailed you the information. Make sure you get back to me. You haven't got back to me yet, so make sure you do. And then we want to say a big thank you to Judy Murphy, Gary Pence, Maggie Diaz, Kathy Earnhardt, Cindy Erickson. You guys are amazing. You guys have been supporting us for so long. And we just want to say thank you for all the support. It means a lot to be able to help us get the truth out even more. Okay, so we've got that. Then we have this right here. Everything Church Pro University launches just a couple days from now. January 1st is when we'll open the doors and then we'll start orientation week next week. And so you're not going to want to miss out, especially, especially if you want to be on our launch crew. So our launch crew, you're going to be able to get your price locked in for life, even if it goes up. We're also going to mail out to everybody on launch crew a special certificate saying that you were on the launch crew. And so I'm excited for this, but we have a video that we kind of prepared to give you a, a, a sneak peek of what's coming. It's kind of uh, what's going to be on the top of the sales page. And so you guys get to see the video before anybody else. And so I'm going to queue it up and then we'll talk about it a little bit more before we dive into Revelation.
Hey there, this is a special message for any Christian who wants to be able to study the Bible for themselves, but you just can't seem to find quality Bible education on a budget. My name's Pastor Addison, and I am a pastor and Bible student who just loves helping other people study the Bible for themselves. And I'm Jonah Smith. I'm a teacher and a Bible college graduate who also loves helping other Christians study the Bible at a deeper level. If you want to succeed in Bible study, then pay very close attention with what we've got for you today. So many Christians suffer from the idea that learning to study the Bible is like super expensive and means studying 18 hours a day. But the truth is, nothing could be farther from the truth. If you want to study the Bible for yourself, then we've got exactly what you're looking for. And I'd like to introduce you to Everything Church Pro University. This makes it easy for you to feel confident in your ability to interpret the Bible for yourself. Everything Church Pro University is the shortcut for you to become confident in your ability to study the Word, teach other people the Word without leading them into false doctrine, meet other fervent Christians who will encourage you to keep going. Also, it will help you love meeting with God and His Word even more, and it'll help you stop spending money on other Bible courses and a lot more than that. But what makes this even better is that now you never have to worry about feeling that you can't afford a good Bible education ever again, which also means that you're not stuck feeling like you'll just have to like fork out thousands and thousands of dollars or just sit there hoping you could attend some premium uh, Bible school in the future. And uh, best of all, you can start seeing results in as little as one class. And it costs less or maybe just a little bit more than a white chocolate mocha, okay? And so if you're a Christian who wants to study the Bible for yourself, everything Church Pro University really is your best option. It's your best option to understand the richness of the Bible, to be able to open up the Bible to any passage and feel confident that you can discern the true meaning. Also, I think it's also the key to help others love the word as much as you do. You'll be able to take the word, share it with others, teach classes, and, and birth in them even the desire and love for the word of God, the same love that you have. And so this, this right here, Everything Church Pro University is the key to your success with Bible study. Make sure you jump in today. So that is the, I guess, the trailer for Everything Church Pro University. And I want to tell you, I am so pumped about it. Like, we've put in so much work getting this started, and we can't wait to share it with you guys, and especially for the price point. I mean, you cannot beat it. The price of getting a white chocolate mocha, you'll be able to get quality Bible education. And we'll be jumping into Old Testament survey just about a week away from now. And so if you want to jump in with us as a launch member and start this together with us, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Uh, anything that you want to say about it, Jonah? Uh-oh, I think your your mic is off. How about that? That's uh, good. That's good. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for it as well. Um, it's, it's just fun to study the Bible because it, it benefits myself too, as uh, it's been a while since I've done a study on Old Testament survey and all the other courses that we uh, are going to be doing in the future. It's just so fun to be able to study the Bible. Uh, yeah, it is. At a so deeper level. rich, so rich. Yeah. And I'm excited for all of you guys. I, I think so far my favorite's been Leviticus. We did a deep dive on Leviticus, and that's coming up a few weeks away. And so you guys are going to want to jump in with us. I, I asked uh, some of you guys have ever have you guys ever heard of Chat GPT? I know it's in the news, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to study Revelation. By the way, there's this artificial intelligence out there that they've given people access to, and it made me think, okay, does this have anything to do with the end times? Uh, but I asked it uh, right here, what's what's about four ninety nine a month? What's about it? And it said a cup of coffee or tea at a cafe. It said a small bag of chips or snack at a convenience store, a magazine or newspaper, a single song or album of, on a music streaming service, a ticket to a small local event or museum, a single ride on public, tra uh, public transportation, a small bag of pet food or treats, a single movie rental from a streaming service or a single serving from fast food. And I was like, hey, that's about the cost of an entire month of in-depth 
a, a Bible study for the cost of a bag of chips. I mean, that's that's pretty good. And so we're excited to be able to launch that to you guys. Like I, I'm so pumped. I really am. I, I got to move on to Revelation. I know I can get stuck here for a long time. And so are you ready to jump into Revelation? Yes, sir. Okay, so let's go into Revelation chapter number one. And let's bring this up. It's good to see uh, Belinda. Good to see you with us today. I'm glad you're here joining us as well as Luigi from France. Man, that's awesome. Glad you're here with us, Luigi. Uh, we're going to be diving right on in here to Revelation chapter one. And so we're going to read this first section and then just begin talking about it. So we have Revelation one that begins like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And so I'm looking at this and I think, first off, I think the name should have been changed. I mean, the name is very clearly stated at the beginning and it's kind of like Acts. It says Acts of the Apostles and yet it's all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And it's like the Acts of Jesus through the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. Same thing here. It's not the revelation of St. John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I, I think it's because we misunderstand this word here, you know, apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus, not the unveiling of John, the unveiling of Jesus. And so, Jonah, I want you to tackle just your ideas about this first section of, of Revelation 1. Yeah, um, just uh, going back just very briefly on that word Revelation Maybe there, most of us may know this, but it was a, such an eye opener when somebody just said, it's just a different form of the word reveal. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, that makes more sense because you're like, a revelation, revelation, what is that? Oh, it's just him, the <laughs> revealing of Jesus Christ. I'm like, okay, and I love right. what you said, it's such an eye opener. That's like another form of the word revelation. Yeah. It's a, like to be able to see, it's an eye opener, and that's what revelation <laughs> is, it's an eye opener of who Jesus really is and what's coming to pass. So I'm, I'm, I'm turning it over to you, turning it back over. Yeah, so the, the main thing I want to just pull out, um, which is encouraging and kind of head-scratching too, uh, twice in these first few verses, it shows that the coming of Christ is going to happen soon. He mm. says in verse one, uh, things which must shortly come to pass. Whoa. Mm. And uh, also, man, the time is at hand at the end of verse three. And so it's very encouraging if John thought that it was shortly going to come to pass and yeah. the time is at hand, uh, how much sooner is it going to happen even in 2020? Can you believe it's almost 2023? So, so yeah. No, oh, yeah. it's crazy. And I love what you pulled out of there, that it's coming shortly and it's at hand. And so we were talking yesterday, just to go on a little bit deeper into this weird phrasing about the revelation which God gave unto him, which is unto Jesus, to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Interesting way that it's introduced. This is a revelation that God gave to, to Jesus to give to us. Like, this is not saying Jesus didn't know about this, I'm, I'm assuming. I know he doesn't know the day or the hour, like he said in, when he was a human. I don't know if that's changed now that he's in his glorified form. I don't. Uh, but what it does signify is that God gave this dispensing of truth to Jesus to give to us. He said, Jesus, this right here is what you can give to your servants so that they can know what's going to happen at the end. And so Jesus takes this and gives it to John. And so John is the one who bears record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus, the Messiah, and of all the things that he saw. And that's a key word. This is going to be a lot of visions, kind of like Zechariah, I believe it's Zechariah, or there's just a lot of visions, apocalyptic literature, which um, is the genre of basically most of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, which I guess uh, suits it since the first thing is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's apocalyptic. And so this is a genre that's really difficult 
because it's a lot of visions, it's a lot of symbolism that we quite, it's hard just to read uh, because it's not something we read often. And so we got to keep that in mind. This is a, a compilation of visions and things that God showed unto John. All right. And then I love this. Blessed is he that readeth. This is huge. And I think Belinda already said this right here. She said, I know every Bible book is a blessing to us, but Jesus tells us directly that we will be blessed by reading this book. And that's 100% true. Verse three says, blessed is he that readeth, but not just he that readeth and they that hear. Uh, We've got to realize that back in the time when this was being passed around, not everybody was reading it. It was passed to a church and the church would publicly read it. And so it's not just the blessing on the person who's reading it to them. Even those who are sitting and listening to the words of the prophecy receive the blessing, but not just those who read and those that hear, but those that keep, those that keep the things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Anything else you want to add to this first section, Jonah? No, I mean, such a great encouragement. Yeah. Uh, read it, hear it, live it. Pretty, oh. pretty straightforward. I love it. Amen. So we are being blessed right now. Amen. We are. We are all being blessed right now by beginning to read this. So let's jump into the next section here. It says, John to the seven, and I have this, churches, churches, I'm going to hit that a couple times, churches, which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him, which is, which was, and which is to come. Now, here's where it gets weird, and we're going to talk about this for a second. From the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince another word we need to focus on a prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Okay, so so already we're not even into the intense part of Revelation, but we're already seeing some interesting phraseology here that might break some brains because uh, we get here and we start seeing uh, seven spirits before the <laughs> throne. What in the world are the seven spirits? And so, Jonah, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to turn it over to you to kind of give us the initial thoughts on this section of verses. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was our first question the seven spirits what in the world and you asked what i thought and i said i don't know what i'm thinking and so we went and studied a lot a little bit um but it is so important before and this is what i like to do uh when i study on my own just reread things uh Mm. get it in the context because i do believe it does clarify quite a bit if you just keep it in its context it says grace be unto you and peace from him so it's already starting from from something from someone from him which is which was and which is to come yeah and from another thing or person and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from oh and there's another thing or person right there jesus christ who is faith, uh, the faithful witness and so you can almost see the trinity right there the first is from the eternal one the self-existent one, the I am, which is, which was, and which is to come. And then it goes from the, to the seven spirits and then to God, the son, Jesus Christ. So uh, as we studied that, as we read a lot of other uh, places uh, in commentaries or whatnot, there, there are quite a few, and I'll let you dive into maybe a couple uh, options, but uh, the consensus of most people that we align with do believe that this is the Holy Spirit and the number seven is just perfection or completeness. And so it's pretty cool. Uh, And even the translators of the KJV decided to capitalize the spirits, the word spirits right there, because I do believe they, they understood it to be the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah. So so that's huge. And, And we'll see in revelation, the number seven is going to be very important. We have seven churches. We have, Seven spirits. We have seven seals. Seven. We're going to see seven is a very important number in the book of Revelation. But this, uh, there's a couple options that people say. Some say angels, which I don't lean towards. Uh, there's angels. Uh, there was some other really weird ones out there that I don't even remember because they were really hard to <laughs> like. 
like they're saying this wasn't even written by John and because it wasn't written by John, this is, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was just really weird. Some really weird thoughts because of seven spirits. Uh, but the consensus really is about this being the Holy Spirit. And there's a couple of places where they reference this from one is from Isaiah. And then one is also from, uh, I believe it's Zechariah. So the Isaiah one is where it gives seven titles of Jesus. And uh, I don't know if it's Isaiah 11 too. I see Belinda, you put on here, Isaiah 11 too. This might be where it talks about the branch. And there's the seven different titles that it gives for the the Holy Spirit. There's the spirit of this and the spirit of that and the spirit of this. And, And so there's seven titles. But the other one is in Zechariah. And it's a really weird vision. Again, apocalyptic literature, where he talks about the two olive trees, but there's seven golden pipes that lead into seven golden lampstands and the seven golden pipes and, and lampstands are a sign that's not by might but not or not by power but by my spirit saith the lord and so there are these two places in the old testament where the holy spirit is seen in sevenfold in sevenfold and that's why many believe this is what this is referencing is both of those texts in the old testament and uh the completion, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what he is. And seven is that number of, of perfection, of completion. And so that's that's kind of where we have to leave it. I mean, I obviously, I think when we get to heaven, we might get some clarity on what this is actually saying. But from our human standpoint, that's what we would believe the seven spirits are. Because again, like you said, in context, we have the Father, we have the Son, and in the middle, this would most likely be the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't see another being lifted into the divine trio, I, I don't believe. And so mm-hmm. we have this, this interesting seven spirits. And so we keep going, and it says, in, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And I love that. He, we, can, we can stop here a lot. I think we're going to hit faithful witness again when we get into him talking to the churches. Uh, but he was the faithful witness. He is the one who faithfully displayed G, uh, the Father. He was a faithful witness of the Father. Uh, we also have the first begotten of the dead. He's the first one who rose again and never died. He's the first begotten. Uh, He's the prince of the kings of the earth. And this is where we got to talk again, uh, because some people might in our modern English be like, wait a sec, wait a sec, prince. So is he under the kings? Is like Joe Biden over uh, Jesus? (laughs) And that's definitely not what this is saying. And so, Jonah, I'm going to let you kind of talk first about prince of the kings. What's going on here? Yeah, so I... Whenever I study the Bible on my own, I love the definitions yep. of the original words. And uh, the Greek word for prince literally means uh, first in rank or power, chief ruler, magistrate, and so the commander. And when you see it, and now it makes a whole lot of sense because then when you look at the definition for kings, uh, it's literally just a leader of the land or uh, a ruler of men. And so it's pretty cool when you see the two right beside each other, that Jesus Christ is the chief in rank, the commander of all the leaders of the world. Yes. So, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but then you have it highlighted on the screen, kings and priests. He hath made us kings and priests. Since we're talking about Prince of Kings, and this prince of kings made us kings. It's the same word that uh, is used for kings up top, that he's the leader of all those worldly or earthly kings, but he has made us those same types of leaders in his kingdom and government. And so I love it when you just look at the definitions, it, it brings a great light to what's actually being said. Oh, yeah. And so so one of our biggest friends is the Greek definitions, but also if you're reading in the King James is the Webster's 1828, because mm. uh, that's going to show you what the words meant when they were penned. It locks it in. Mm. And, and so when you look at Prince even there, it meant the supreme of a group of people, a supreme of a category. And so we would think if uh, if you've listened to Charles Spurgeon, many people would have called him the Prince of Preachers, not meaning he's like second best, but meaning he is the Supreme Preacher. Uh, And so that word was used in that kind of way of the Supreme of a realm. And so it's saying basically here, Jesus is not just a king among kings, but he is the preeminent king over all the kings and us included, which is a beautiful thing. And so the truth is, friends, Biden is under Jesus. Like now, like Jesus is king. 
of America. And Jesus is king of Russia. So sorry, Mr. Putin, you are not the supreme leader in, I'm going to get like assassinated. So friends, be, be praying for me. But the truth is Jesus is king of Russia. He is, he's the king. And the leaders are supposed to submit to him. Uh, he's, he's the king of North Korea and South Korea and China. Jesus is the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the ruler. He's the ruler. And then I love this right here. It says, and hath made us because he washed us and because he loved us. I mean, that, we cannot be kings and priests unless he loved us and washed us. Those are very key. But he made us kings and priests unto God and his father, meaning Although we don't have the sword, a reference, which if you take Old Testament survey, we might talk more about in there. Although we don't have the governmental power necessarily in this earth, in God's mind, we are kings and we will actually be kings and reign with Jesus. We'll see in Revelation forever and ever. And so he says, if you look at the kings of this world, yes, they might have power and, uh, and governmental authority here, but the truth is I see you as a king now. Like God, that, that blows me away. Like he, got, he doesn't save us to make us tiny little beggars on the street. He saves us to be conformed to the image of his son and to be kings and priests unto God. And we're supposed to say like with John, to him be glory and mm. I love it, dominion. He's the king. And, and we're going to see throughout our study of Revelation, Revelation is Jesus not becoming king, but Jesus enforcing and actually activating his reign uh, in the earth. Because we saw he became king of everything when he died, buried, and rose again. He reclaimed the kingdom for the Father. But here, we had a space where God allowed the other kingdom to exist while his kingdom exists, and men said, we're not going to have this man to rule over us like it says in Psalm 2. And, and many of the Christians thought, why and how long? And Peter says, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. So Jesus allowed that other kingdom to exist for a time because he wanted people to be rescued out of the old kingdom and into the kingdom of his dear son. But Revelation is like the initiation of, uh-oh, if you didn't join the new kingdom, time is up. He's coming. He, and, and this is this is the excitement of Revelation. The king is coming. And if you're in the new kingdom, this is awesome. If you're not in the new kingdom, we're going to see in the next verses. It's quite scary. It's quite scary. So let's read those next verses. It says this, behold, he cometh with the clouds. And this is, he's coming. He's going to come. And this, with the clouds is a epithet, <clears throat> I guess, what we could say of, divinity, but also of the son of man, referring back to Daniel. And so I don't have time to dive deeply into that. If you don't know the Daniel prophecy of the son of man coming in the clouds, uh, but cloud writing is something that was in the Psalms attributed to God, to Yahweh. And so it's showing that he's both the son of man and, uh, and Yahweh, Jehovah himself. Behold, he cometh with the clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also, which pierced him, referring back to the prophecy in, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on the prophecy right now, in Zechariah about they shall behold him or shall look on him whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him as of their only begotten son or their mourn for his only son. So right here in Zechariah 12. So it's, it's bringing together all of these references of the Messiah. It's like one phrase. They're gonna, he's going to come in the clouds like the son of man and like Jehovah. Every eye is going to see him. And they also, which pierced him and all the kindreds of the earth. And here's the crazy thing. Look at this. Shall wail, shall wail. It's, 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 this is a very intense word shall wail because of him. All kindreds, not just the Jews, all kindreds when they see him will wail. And so John, I'm going to let you jump into this here because this, this gets intense. Yeah. Um, we, we were debating back and forth. I don't even know if I have a final place where I rest on the why. I think maybe the why Israel, um, would wail and moan and weep is, oh man, we did miss the Messiah. Yeah. We, we saw so many people try to convince us in uh, the New Testament and this man, this historical figure called Jesus, people were trying to tell us that he was the king of the Jews and yet we didn't believe. And now we see him, every eye shall see him. Now we see him and how did we miss it? How did we miss it? And so, yeah. I do believe they're going to mourn because of that. But then it says all kindreds of the earth. 
I do believe as we're going to get later on in this chapter, when you see Jesus, and I think this is what you might even be putting in the thumbnail later, when you actually see Jesus, what he looks like now, he doesn't look like the meek servant that he came the first time. No. Uh, uh, he he came as a lamb the first time. He's coming as king. As a lamb. Uh, yes. Um, and so when they see who Jesus truly is, I, I believe this is why they're going to be wailing. As we see John, he falls as dead when he sees yeah. uh, Jesus. And so... Yeah. It's going to yeah. be terrifying. And, and the truth is, I, I think a lot of people, they pal around with Jesus. And, it, and it's probably not even just the fault of the world. Although a lot of the media that's come out about Jesus, you know, uh, from the world has been blasphemous and terrible. And they think that because Jesus was meek, that he's weak. And that's not definitely not true. I mean, even at his before his crucifixion, he told his disciples, don't you know I could call even now 10 legions of angels and they would come and rescue me? He's like, the power was there. And, yeah. and, and every time we saw an angel in scripture, the people thought they were going to die. They were terrified. And the angel had to say, fear not, let alone the king of the angels. I mean, that's, that's terrifying, especially when they see him in his glorified form, as we're going to see in the next verse. And so when the world sees him coming on his white horse, Knowing they have rejected him, knowing they have blasphemed him, knowing how they have maligned him and sinned against him, this is going to be terrifying. I believe also elsewhere we're going to get to them crying for the rocks to fall on them when they see it. It's, it's, it gets scary for them. And so I guess what we should use this is like, a, is it book of James or Jude is saying some save with, I think it's James with fire or yeah. fear pulling them from the fire. Friend. You don't want to be there for this, and you don't want to be on the wrong side. You don't. It's going to be scary. It's going to be terrifying because Jesus is the one keeping you alive right now, and in that day, you're going to realize it. Mm. In that day, you're going to realize you have no weapon strong enough to defeat him. You should have joined his side. And so uh, that's one, one sad thing. And it says, even so, amen. This is where I think we as believers are. Uh, we're not in the, oh, we're terrified of him coming. We're the even so, amen. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Even so, amen. And then it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. We're going to talk about Alpha and Omega again in in verse 11. So we're not going to hit it yet. So let's keep reading. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle, which is or that is called Patmos. So this is where he is. This is the setting, the backdrop. He was in the isle, which is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard a, behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying. Okay, so let's before, before we get to the voice, I want to hit the Lord's day. Okay, so John is, is on the Isle of Patmos and he says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now there's debate between what this means. Some would say that this is the day of the Lord. I think that's a big stretch uh, that he says I was in the spirit on the day of the Lord. And then he heard behind me a great voice. It doesn't seem like it flows logically, but if you believe that, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not gonna say you're an enemy. I I just don't buy it. I don't believe that's what this is saying. Well, you're about to say something. Yeah. Yeah. So what, just so, just in case someone may not understand what you mean by day of the Lord, could you explain what you say when someone says they think it's the day of the Lord? Okay, so yeah, the day of the Lord is something in Old Testament prophecy about the final day when God would come and eradicate evil and bring his authority to bear. So that's the day of the Lord, and it's it's a time of both rejoicing and terror. It's rejoicing for the good and terror for the evil. And so that's the day of the Lord that's been prophesied in most of the Old Testament prophets. And so um, when we go through Old Testament survey, we're going to see that over and over and over again, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And so some people would say that this is what he's saying, but I think it's a weird jump to say all these things. And then I was in the spirit on the day of the Lord, which I don't believe that's what he's going at. But there's another uh, more plausible in my mind definition, the Lord's day uh, actually, in the second century, was already the name for Sunday. They called Sunday the Lord's Day because it was the day he rose from the dead. It was the day they dedicated to him, to honor him, to worship him, to gather together as believers. And so that's what I would say. I think that he's speaking to people that already have this in their culture, the Lord's Day, 
And he's saying, guys, on that day, I was worshiping. Like we, like you guys are worshiping together. I was exiled, but I was still worshiping. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, on Sunday, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And so that's where I'm at. Where is that? Where 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 are you at, Jonah? Yeah, I I I tend to agree. I we we were talking yesterday, and I do believe this causes confusion. Yeah, simply because what book it was written in. Yeah. The majority of any other book, if we saw the Lord's day, um, if one of the apostles in the book of Acts says we were uh, in the synagogue or whatever on the Lord's day, no one would be like, yeah. they were transported <laughs> to the day of the Lord or <laughs> no. Yeah. But because this is an ap- apocalyptic book, we're like, wait, maybe there's already some visions or something already going on. But I do believe in the the flow of the thought is simply a day of the week that he called the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And I think that's a key thing for us to take away. If the second century was already calling Sunday, the Lord's day, I think we need to make the Lord's day, the Lord's day again, friends. Um, I think we need to make sure we set apart a day to honor him. And that is his day. First and foremost, um, may other things not take his place. This is an application for all of us. And I understand people differ on how we should spend the Lord's day. Um, I believe it should be at least you gathering with other believers, at least, at least it should be you making a point on the Lord's day to gather with other believers. There are arrogant Christians out there who will say, I don't want anybody to, I don't need to be a part of an organized church. I just need to worship God in myself by myself. Friends, that's arrogance. And we should not be that way. We should not be like, I'm only going to, I'm going to worship by myself. I don't want anybody to teach me or anything else. Friends, 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 please humble yourself. And be a part of the church that Jesus died for. The Bible is very clear that he loved the local church the same way we should love our wives. Uh, and, and so he died. The other place he said is shed his blood for the local church. And so may we, may we not be arrogant and say, I don't need it. I don't need to be a part of it. No, friends. From the early times, from the beginning, the Lord's Day was set apart for God's people to church together, to gather, to assemble. And so, friends, may that be what we do. Please, please, please. I, I, I'm telling you, there's a fire in my bones right now. I can start preaching about this. I'm not going to. I hope you guys already see my passion on this. But that's something very, very important. And so let's look over here. I'm going to see. I, I know we had some questions come up here. So Belinda said, can you perhaps perhaps explain the words of John saying that he is our companion in tribulation? Where does that place us with the time frame? Um, let me keep going. It says, Meaning, will there be a rapture or will we be with John in tribulation? Okay, so tribulation is just a general word. Um, uh, so we have to take in context uh, right around it what he's talking about. So he's talking to specific people right then, uh, specifically the churches of Asia Minor, which we're going to see in a second. Um, but he's their companion in tribulation, meaning right now they're being persecuted. We can see that with John. He's persecuted. He was already boiled in oil and now exiled to Patmos. He's saying, I, I'm your companion in hard times, in, in hard times. This isn't talking about a specific time period, per se. Um, this is just saying right now, all of us, whether you're in Asia Minor, whether you're like me, we're together, we're companions in uh, persecution. And so when it comes to rapture, that's not going to be necessarily a revelation issue, although we might cover it. It's going to be a Thessalonian one. He covers the rapture in Thessalonians. And I do believe we're not appointed to wrath. And maybe we'll talk about that moving forward. Uh, but that's not quite what he's talking about here. He's not talking about him going through the tribulation. He's just saying he's in tribulation. And so um, hopefully that clarifies that section there. Brother Gary, good to see you this morning. Good to see you. And then let me see here. Uh, yeah, I agree. Christians will not go through the tribulation. Okay, so I think we've got caught up here. Let's go on to right here, Jesus talking about him being the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And so let's talk about Alpha and Omega here. Uh, we see it twice already, Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega. And I think we might have seen first and the last, or which was, which is, which is to come already a few times as well. And so, Joan, I want you to tackle this because some people might not know what Alpha and Omega is. Yeah, um, I didn't even think of uh, someone not understanding what alpha and omega was in its literal sense until one of my math students, we were going over some Greek letters and pre-calculus and all that. Uh, and when I said omega, like the cosine of omega, and they're like, oh, omega. Um, I was like, yeah, it's just the last letter of the Greek alphabet. 
and their eyes opened and they asked me, is that why the Bible says that Jesus is the alpha and the omega? I'm like, yes. And then it says, oh, and then it says like, he's the first and the last two. I'm like, exactly. And so it's pretty funny when uh, the younger generation is starting to put some of the things together. Like, whoa, that, I just thought it was a saying, I'm the alpha and omega. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, this is where my brain starts to hurt, though, when you actually start to try to make sense of it. Yeah. Uh, the Alpha, not as difficult. He was eternally present in eternity uh, past. He's always been. That's even hard to get my mind around. Uh, but before the worlds were formed, he was already there. He never yeah. had a beginning. He was the Alpha. But when we get to the Omega or the last, so is there going to be an end? Obviously, no, he is eternal. Um, but he completes, I, I believe you even brought up as we talked yesterday, he's the author and the finisher of our yeah. faith. He, he completes everything. He brings everything to perfection. Um, and so that's a good way to think about it. But even in the timeline, He's you. I, I don't even want to steal all your thunder because you oh, brought up stealing, man. juicy, juicy nuggets uh, yesterday. Um, he is even when we get to heaven. And we're going to be living for eternity. You are saying he's already a million years before us, uh, ahead of us. He's a, a billion years. He's, he's eternal. So it's like that's yeah. where the, the it starts to hurt the brain, even though we're going to be living forever. He's always there's always there's a song we like to sing he's already in your tomorrow yeah. even in our eternity he's already because he's eternal yeah. it's just it, it hurts the brain to even think about but he is the first and the last it's so Ooh. true and, and it's hard to think about because we dwell in time and because we are finite creatures and he's infinite um, a lot of people think about god as almost finite they think of him like dwelling in time but but eternally you know, and so they think of him like always stretching back, always stretching forward, but that's not quite how it is. He's simultaneously mm. comprehending everything of all time at the same. It's, it's just hard. And we're not going to dive too much into it. <laughs> if we want to dive into the nature of God, we'll probably do that in a course in our university, theology proper. Uh, but it's, it's hard for our brains that he is the first and the last. He is the beginner. He is the initiator and he's the completer. He's also like the telos. He's the goal is that everything is striving to the greatest good. Mm -hmm. There's so much. And so these are rich terms. They're really rich terms. Alpha and Omega, the first letter of the, he, uh, of the Greek al alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And what he says is what you see. Again, we're seeing this is going to be visions and things that he sees right in a book and send it unto, again, seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now, you, you're going to see me. I'm emphasizing churches a lot because, uh, first of all, I'm not shy. I'm a Baptist person. I'm a Baptist preacher. And so Baptist, one of the key tenets is the autonomy of the local church. Uh, we are not universal church people, and we can have a discussion on that later. We're not going to dive too much into it today. Uh, but universal church was a Catholic doctrine. In fact, Catholic means universal church. And so when the reformers, reformers left the Catholic church, they still he held to a version of universalism, the universal church, uh, but they had to try to I guess, spiritualize it. And we aren't there. They, they, <laughs> they almost became Baptists because Baptists have been around uh, since the beginning of the Catholic church. And in fact, it was Zwingli who said they've been around since basically 200 AD. And we've got the quote there for that. And so there's always been like this, this train of Baptists who believed in local church. And then there's this universal mega church that tried to become everything. And so if we look at the, the scripture here, over and over again, it's about to the church at, to the church at, to the local churches. It doesn't say to the universal church, which is here, here, and here. In fact, later on, we'll even see it's seven distinct golden candlesticks. They're not one candlestick with like each part of a candle. Each one is a distinct candlestick with Jesus being at the center. So all of us, each individual local church has Jesus as the head. Jesus is the king and the head of each local church. And all of us are part of the family of God and all of us are part of the kingdom of God, but the church is different. And, I, and we might dive into that later on in the year, maybe in different videos. What is the church? What makes a church a church? Because just Christians gathering together 
is not necessarily a church. Okay. And you're like, what, what you're breaking my brain. Okay. I, I know that for many, they say that eschatology is their weakest point when it comes to Bible study, but truly in America and probably in the world, ecclesiology is the weakest point when it comes. You say, what in the world are all these big words? Ecclesiology is the study of the church. What in the world is a church? That has to be probably the weakest doctrine in Christianity today, yet it should be the strongest because, again, we said Jesus gave his life for the local New Testament church. He gave his life. He loves it. Now, will it be universal one day? Yeah. Yeah, the church will be universal one day, and that's coming. And when Jesus gathers us all together, that's when it will be universal. But until then, he works through the local New Testament church. And here again, we see it here. Some of you guys are about to beat me up, about to put some thumbs down there, and I, I'll, I'll cry for a little. No, I won't even cry at all. But it's, I just <laughs> got to be honest with you guys with the doctrines here. And so we have the local churches here, and he has a letter to each of them distinctly. And we're going to talk about that. But let's look at Jesus himself. I mean, this is crazy. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, which harkens us back to the fiery furnace when, when Nebuchadnezzar's like, I see four and one like unto the Son of Man, you know, it harkens us back there. And so in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, there's one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire or as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass as if they had burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not. So we're going to go back into that. But oh my goodness, this vision of Jesus is intense. Like so intense that John who leaned on his breast falls at his feet as dead. And so John, I want you to help us out with this section. This is crazy. This is intense. What do you have to say here? It, uh, reading this makes me want to fear him more but yeah. also it's such an encouragement to knowing that this is the god i serve i don't have to be oh that's the guy i have to go up against if if i'm satan or whatever and he already knows he knows but yeah. whenever you are reminded of his power and his glory there'd be dread there's fear and yeah. i do believe as we already talked about that's why when all the kindreds of the earth see him they know there's no way yep. we, we are going to ever uh defeat uh god and christ because he is uh terrifying mm. uh not like a horror movie like but just absolutely good awesome we don't sometimes use that word like we ought to but awe there's so much awe when we yeah. see that and that fear and that dread it's absolutely incredible to know that he's on our side well we're on his side yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. but i also think that if christians got a glimpse of this we would live more holy yeah i think too many times we look at jesus as the the pal that we can kind of push around and he's okay with everything we do and don't really need to respect him very much. I mean, he's, he'll be okay. He's got thick skin. It'll be fine. But yeah. I think if we saw him this way, our respect and our reverence would be much more evident. I think we would be much less prone to sin. I think that we would, we would realize we're sinning against this king. I mean, this king has made us kings under him. That's a privilege. That's a privilege. But it's also a, a weight of responsibility on us that we are kings and priests unto this king. I mean, yeah. I, I, if you've ever served under a, a really good boss, but that's a really important boss, you understand the weight of like, I need to make sure I do this right. I mean, I'm representing this boss. I'm representing this king. And so uh, I think if we really saw Jesus this way, if he popped into all of our rooms right now looking like this, it'd change our lives forever. It, it, yeah. it would radically, radically change the way we live, the way we interact with our spouse, the way we interact with our kids, the way we interact with other unbelievers. Our lives would be changed because we would see him as he is. In fact, I believe there's a verse that says, 
And when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Just the glimpse of him like this changes us more and more mm. into his image. And so this is intense. It made John fall at his feet as dead. Mm. And so then we get this last saying here. It says, and he laid his right hand upon me and said, fear not. We need Jesus to say that because it's intense. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Huge. And behold, I am alive, not just for a little bit, but forevermore. Amen. And I love this. I have the keys. I have the keys of hell and death. Friend, if we're on his team, we don't have to be afraid of going to hell or death. He's got the keys. Satan doesn't have the keys. Satan can't snatch us away and throw us in there. Jesus has the keys. Write the things which thou hast seen. This is what many would say is the format for the rest of the book, which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in thy right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, and the seven stars of the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven churches. Okay, so let's end here, kind of revamping or revisiting what we talked about last week, and then we'll close it up. I know we're hitting our hour mark here. And so, John, talk about the the angels and the candlesticks, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I think we even mentioned it a little bit last week. Yeah. When we were talking about uh, when we, uh, something to entertain angels unaware. Uh, but yeah, this word angels, it's simply means messenger and it's the pastor of these seven individual local churches and so it can be confusing um, because of the terminology but when you just oh it's just talking about the angels or the messengers that are ordained of god okay it's just the pastor of those local new testament churches yeah the angels are the messengers. And so that's what we're going to get into next week of the letters to each of these local churches there's a letter for each one And each of them struggles with something differently, but Christ is still the head of each church. And so we're going to see this really interestingly as we get into chapter two. Uh, Let me look at what she just said. She said, uh, my brain is having a hard time translating my words. I think it will translate to glorified body. My brain is having a hard time translating my words. I'd have to try to understand that. Uh, what? Because sometimes the the comments come a little bit later than when you sent it in the video. Uh, but the truth is, yeah, we will have a glorified body, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, but yes, we will be like him. We will have the glorified body when we see him as he is. And so, great stuff, great study, and we're just getting started to see when the king comes, when the king comes back, um, and he's going to set his church in order there. The seven churches there, we're going to see him set them in order in the past, which are still great messages for us in the present. And so I'd encourage you to be with us as we look at chapter two next week. But again, we're launching Everything Church Pro University this week, this coming Sunday. So you're not going to want to miss out. We'll have more information emailed out to you soon. But Jonah, thanks for coming on. Are there any last words you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, I'm looking forward to broadening my knowledge uh, of this uh, doctrine of eschatology and this book of Revelation. Uh, looking forward to what God has in store. Amen. I agree. All right, guys. So we will see you all next time. Enjoy it. We'll be praying for you guys. Uh, stay faithful to Christ this week.